Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Solo, a Star Wars story, directed by Ron Howard and released in 2018. That's a lot of S's. <laughs> the plot of the movie goes something like this. Through a series of daring escapades within a dark and dangerous criminal underworld, Han Solo meets his future co-pilot Chewbacca and encounters the notorious gambler Lando Calrissian. Um, yes, this movie though, I mean, I think we all know that there's been issues around the making and release of this movie. Like, they yeah. finished, they only finished pulling it together like a month ago. Yeah. In terms of recording the music and finishing the post and doing the sound and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's been, you know, plagued by issues. First of all, though, we should do our little um, spoiler-free bit of should you see this movie because even though a lot of people like us will see this movie, there are a lot of people who go, do I need to bother? Um, So it's probably a good question to answer. I mean, for me, um, this movie really pleasantly surprised me. It is my favourite of the last three that have come out. So I would say, yeah, go see it, like especially if you're kind of doubting it and like based on the casting. I mean, I do still have some problems with the casting, which we can talk about later, but um, in general, it was really fun. It looks great, sounds great. It's just, and the, I think the script is great. Um, I think it's really well written, um, which is kind of a surprise given how many problems they had pulling it together and everything. Mm. Like the actual, like the dialogue and everything is really solid. The Kazdans came in, that's probably why. Yeah. So it, it does, it, um, it's a lot more like, I found it a lot more enjoyable than the last two that I've seen. Um, I found it a lot more cohesive than the last one that I saw, which, yeah, like that was one person's vision that ca- carried through that for me didn't work out. And then um, with Last Jedi and then this one was a mess coming together, but I think they managed to pull it together really well, um, especially considering all the problems they had and the casting problems and stuff like that. I think this movie came out great. Yeah, I, I was also pleasantly surprised by this movie. Uh, I think – just because of all the problems, I thought, oh, it, and also because I had been a bit disappointed by Rogue One and by Last Jedi, mm. I think I thought, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. And I, I think I probably like Last Jedi more than you do, although I don't love it. So I, I don't want to rank the three of them because I don't really know how to. And Rogue One, I like the, my problems with Rogue One, I feel like, are because it's such a downer yeah. of a movie. Not, And I, I don't want to like. Well, it's, it's a bit. It's got a bit touch of the Infinity Wars about it in that I, it's the the downer sort of ending. I don't go well with the downer ending, so I don't want to like get into a debate about which one I liked more. But this one was great fun. Mm. The middle section, the Kessel Run, the where Donald Glover comes into the movie as Lando Calrissian is just a highlight mm. for me. Um, that whole midsection is just really light, really well done. But I think overall, it, it's it's a good fun movie. I think. Um, it definitely feels more like a Ron Howard, Lawrence Kasdan, Jake Kasdan kind of production than it ever than the Lord Miller stuff seems to have been completely excised, or there's less of it. I don't know. I don't know what their stuff would be. It would be the dumb jokes and things. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know what that would. Um, yeah, what their stuff would be apart from not being very good at casting things. Yeah, because <laughs> otherwise, but otherwise, though, I I think it. Yeah, it's good fun and it's like a good solid action adventure well put together you've got good action set pieces like i said mm. the kessel run but there's another couple as well and ron, i just think it was fun ron howard's just a great director like he mm. can i mean i know he's done some dodgy movies but he can really make a movie 
enjoyable to watch. This was a great movie just to watch. It's a bit like Spielberg in that sense. You can mm. bring him in, yeah. put him on a project, and you will have solid. You'll have a solid film. The script will work. The story yeah. will work. The beats will be hit. The right emotional tone will be struck. And I think this one also. I actually think this one looks quite good. It was um, uh, the cinematographer was Bradford Young, who did Arrival. And Selma, among other things, is a really sort of good young cinematographer at the moment. And I thought it looked good. It it sort of retained a Star Warsiness, but it had its own look, and it also had a very distinctive look that was like that yellow really cut, mm. like really carried through. It was really yellow and blue. It leaned. We should probably just say that we're going to go. Yeah, we should the get spoilers into spoilers now. But yes, said, go see this movie. Yeah, it's um, really fun. The with the, that, I think it's they're really leaning into that seventies aesthetic, mm. um, like like leaning in hard to that seventies aesthetic, which is I think why the kind of mustard yellow color mm. is such a strong theme of theme of this movie. Um, but it works really well. Like the the cinematography and everything has this seventy updated seventies kind of thing, which mm. makes it. Very, I think that's why it feels quite Star Warsy. Yeah, because Star Wars was first made in nineteen seventy seven, and so it's leaning into that that idea that Star Wars was made in 1977 and is a product of the 70s without like losing a kind of modern take on it which mm. I thought was great yeah because you do still have like the hallmarks <laughs> of modern action cinematography is your dog doing something yeah, weird outside the window up onto the window still started sniffing around she's gone now um <laughs> in case you can't tell across the last three episodes Katie's dog has done hanging out at our house while we record so which is great it's been great fun um my cat hates it as you can imagine <laughs> Well, B loves it, and also it's great. It's really helpful for me because it means I get to um, include her uh, walk in do, the we, time that I have is, for this. It is fine that my cat hates it. My cat, he's a, he's a cat. That's what they do. But because um, I kept looking at it, thinking I really like how this looks, mm. but also I don't feel like it. It actually feels different from Force Awakens and Last Jedi and all of yep. those other ones. If you feel like you're in a different world, but it's also not doing the Rogue One thing of kind of being uh, a little bit hemmed in by the actual 70s cinematography that it had to recreate in some cases. Yeah. But also um, I think it, it it feels different from those, but it still feels very much Star Warsy. Mm. But my biggest problem with it is that it doesn't – I still don't really feel like Golden Aaron Reich is Han Solo no. for one thing. And I just – he and Amelia Clark can only do one thing. There's so one note in this, both of them, uh, only one note. And every, And the thing is the people around them are doing quite well. Less so, I think, like the the um, girl who played Emphis Nest was not very good. Um, some of the like minor roles were not great. But Donald Glover was killing it as Lando. So Woody Harrelson was very dependable as Tobias Beckett. Um, Tandy Newton was dependable. Paul Bettany was dependable. You know, those are guys who are like journeyman actors who really know how to make this work, right? Mm. So, like, they had all these people around them who were doing good work. And Alden Ehrenreich, I think, is trying and was not as bad as I thought he would be, but he is, he's only playing one side of Han Solo. And like, I've had this conversation already where people, where with someone who was like, oh, but he's supposed to be young and innocent and he hasn't gone through as much yet and everything. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he's still not. Like, Harrison Ford kind of is so effortlessly charming mm. and watchable. And Alden Reich isn't, uh, Alden Reich, <laughs> just, squish his name into one thing. Alden Ehrenreich isn't that. Mm. Um, he's not effortlessly charming. All that charm was work mm. for him. Like when, whenever he smiled, it seemed slightly skeezy instead of like genuine to me. Mm. I think he, 
he tried to do some things, like he'd done, done a bit, fair bit of a study on Harrison Ford's physicality. Mm. He definitely liked to, you know, the way he stood and the way he like felt for his blaster and all that sort of thing. Um, he certainly had a bit, had that down, but it did feel a bit weird. Like they'd gone a little bit too far towards innocence and like I, there was almost like too, there were so many things that sort of had to be like, he learns this lesson and therefore he behaves in this way in later movies that, that happened that way. But there is, there are some of them that are a little bit almost like, oh, geez, oh gosh, oh shucks mm-hmm. about it, which Alden Ehrenreich, of course, does really well because he did that really well in um, Hail Caesar. It feels a bit like he's which playing was, the same yeah, role that he which played Which was in. his breakout and yeah. he was really good in. But given the limitations, he's done quite well. But Donald Glover just steals the show as Lando. Completely, yeah. And we also don't get too much of him. He really is only around on the Kessel Run and he comes back at the end. He's, he's not like – there's not too much of him. He very much is a supporting character because, I mean, too much of him would have been too much. But we get just enough and it's really amazing. I think he's in more than we think because I think that middle section is actually the bulk of the film, right? It's yeah. bookended by the Kessel young... Run. I mean, the Kessel Run's got to be the main thrust of the movie. It's it's what you base it around. Yeah. So, but they also have the setup for that heist and everything like that. Mm. So you've got a little bookending bit of young Han Solo at the beginning, um, which is okay, but again, hamstrung by the fact that it's really focused on uh, um, Kira and Han, who are the weakest links. And then the end section with all the twists and turns kind of falls flat in some places mm. and kind of is okay in some places. Yes. Um, but it's not got that energy that was maintained throughout the middle section. Yeah. Which that the end is kind of where I could feel the different directors and things kind of mm. and, and the, the production problems all colliding, you know. Right, because they had to, they had this amazing set piece is almost not enough because it's a whole big I mean it, it's the, the centerpiece. Um, mm. The Kessel Run, and they had this amazing. That was an amazing centerpiece for the film, and then, but then they needed that was that only got us to the end of Act Two, and they needed to finish it. And that there is that, um, oh, we've got to do this and make this twist and this turn, and then we're going to go here, and then these people are going to be this, and then this person's going to take their mask off. You know, there was a lot futzing about. Yeah, and I keep calling it the ending. It's not the ending. It's the denouement. But there's another ending after mm. that. But um, yeah, that. So I, I mean, I still think it kind of worked, but I think it kind of worked on the back of other other things um yeah. that weren't you know that that ron howard is good and can pull it all together and that sort of stuff yeah. rather than and that and it is partly a problem of like it, it the the very emotional core of this movie is a relationship between two people who have no chemistry <laughs> like no i mean han and lando are dripping with chemistry from the moment they meet oh there's my God. so much sexual there's tension bit where han puts his arm around lando and you're like Come on, you guys have to make out. See, yeah. I'm, I think I'm a little confused with Amelia Clark. I think she bamboozles me a little bit because she's so pretty. She is very pretty. So I'm like, oh, she's lovely, little hard eyes. and But also, like, yeah, she's not really doing the – she's not working in the same way. Um, I did like all the stuff with her and, and Paul Bettany, though. Like his beautiful Art Deco ship that mm. he flies around in and – that sort of whole the, – the aesthetic of his people and his organisation was really interesting Crimson to me. Crimson Dawn? Yeah. I was – a lot of the time I would watch those scenes and I was like, can you imagine what this would be like if they'd cast one of the other front runners for this movie? Like I know Gina Rodriguez was in the running to, to for this movie. Oh my God. Um, there were a couple of other people. I think maybe Tessa Thompson 
was also in the running for this movie. Like it was, it, there were these names that like, oh no, no, um, Tatiana Maslany was in the running for this movie, I remember, because there were all these names and then there was Amelia Clark, and I was like, well, I hope they don't cast Amelia Clark. Like oh. she was the worst one of the group and they cast her. And I was so disappointed because like when I was thinking about like, can you imagine this scene with a better actress? Mm. Like, can you imagine a better actress playing off Paul, Paul Bettany? Can you imagine a better actress trying to play all the layers that Kira has going on in this? Because mm. she has to go from like this wide-eyed, you know, young thief who's just trying to escape to this very jaded criminal. Mm. But she, there's no growth there. There's nothing, there's no difference between wide-eyed waif and jaded criminal. Yeah, I mean, she tries. She, she does does try, but she doesn't have a lot of layers. To, Hell, like, even Felicity Jones would yeah, be better. Yeah, and, and she's got a, like a television actress's very sort of big m- movements oh, in, in the way she tries. Mm-hmm. Amelia Clark, I mean. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, she's fine, but like I said, I'm totally bamboozled by the fact that she's really pretty. And I, yeah, and I, so I don't get as bothered by her as a lot of people do, but I, I understand that you could have done this better. For me, it's less that she's pretty and more that she's, she's cute. Mm. You know? Yeah, maybe that's like, it. Like she has kind of like Bambi eyes. Yeah. So she, she sort of bats the Bambi eyes and yeah. you're like, oh, she's not so bad. But when I think about it after, like mm. that big reveal at the end where she, um, where she turns on him mm. or not turns on, she doesn't really turn on Han, but when she, you know. Um, makes the decision to become a criminal mm, ga- mm. like ganglord was cool yeah that could have been great in the hands of a really good actress <laughs> right like that could have been i mean imagine if it had been like tandy newton i know she's completely wrong the wrong age yeah, but yeah. she would have done that so much better well i mean you've just put tatiana maslany in my head and i yeah. can't not because i because she hasn't really done much since orphan black and like it would be really good to see her um, get these kind of roles. But yeah. I mean, she could have played it as Amelia Clark and done, mm. <laughs> done better, I think. But, like, for, it's just a constant source of frustration for me, especially mm. when you would leave a scene with Han and Lando to go off and have that romantic score for another Han and Kira scene. And I was like, can we go back to the other one, please? Mm. Like, it's just not – there's there's no there there for me. Mm. Like, it's, yeah. it doesn't work for me. So that – like that's, I mean, to me, that's the only real major letdown of the movie. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I did think it was fun, but that you definitely sort of left with like a that was fun, that was solid, that was good, but it's not like it doesn't have that sort of extra kick to make it special, um, for me. But there, there is a lot to recommend it. I think there's a couple of things that make it special for me. Um, I mean, I like heist movies, mm. but I think one of them is Lando and Han and Lando and the way they worked. Um, and the other one is, um, L3. Oh, yes. The greatest droid in all of Star Wars Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yes. They, uh, I, I didn't know who the actress was while I was watching it, so I just called her Katie Droid. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I loved her, so. She was amazing. She was amazing. By the way, her name is L337, so her name is literally Leet. Leet. <laughs> Um, she was so great. She was so great. Also, before this moment, I think the only female droids we've ever seen in Star Wars have been server droids. Mm. Um, and here she is, like, and and also yes, very much in like, my themes because I've been obsessed with the concept of droid slavery and like how much kind of yes. Um, and so for you, it was like finally they're yes. addressing droid slavery and droid rights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and this droid uprising that that she led that then you know ballooned out to an uprising of all the oppressed classes yeah, in all Star the Wars in this yeah. one 
like in this one mine yeah. was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Like that was really, really fun for me. Mm. Um, but also this movie addresses issues to me, like st- bigger Star Wars themes yeah. better than Last Jedi does because it puts them in the movie without like forming the whole plot, like making – not yeah. just forming, but warping the plot around them. Right. It's just, it's something that happens. Yeah. Um, Whereas yeah. in Star Wars The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson was so obsessed with the idea of exploring these big themes, mm. but he didn't make a plot around them. Yeah. And so he kept warping the plot out of, like, right. the, you know, the the Canto Bite stuff. Yeah. That just doesn't fit in that movie was because he wanted to explore bigger themes on st- in Star Wars. Whereas her uprising causes a huge distraction that both gets them into trouble but also ma- helps them get away with the, mm, the is, yeah. heist. Yeah, that's right. Because it happens in the course of her doing her part of the heist. Mm. Yeah, and, and also, as you say, she's like a pilot and a navigator as well. Mm. So it's not like she's doing protocol or serving or, or sex droid or fighting or any of those kind of other droid things we see other, other places in the Star Wars universe. And also she's not sexy, which oh, made no. me really happy. <laughs> Like the way she, like the, her whole kind of movement is so like uh, unsexy, I well, guess. Like well, it's yeah. so kind of. Before I knew who played her, I thought she might have been played by Miranda. Oh yeah, Miranda Hart. That Miranda would make sense. Hart, because she's like tall and a bit awkward, mm. and she's also they did actually make like she is distinctly female, like she's got wide hips, yes, and then the, her body moves in that sort of a way. But I was like, this must be some tall, awkward English actress, and it was mm. Phoebe Waller Bridge, but um. Yeah, I, I thought I, for a minute there, I was like, is that, that's not, it's not quite Miranda's voice. That, and I, took, I spent a lot of the movie trying to work out who was playing her. Yeah, I think I've seen an interview with her before the movie came out. Like, not anything um, spoilery, but just her talking. And so I, mm-hmm. I knew kind of that. But, yeah, I like the way that she has – yeah, she's, she's female without being, like, a sexualized female mm-hmm. character and is sort of – I mean, some of it's kind of played for laughs in ways that I didn't think was entirely necessary, but she is also very funny. But that sort of delightfully bolshy, bossy girl kind of stuff is also delightful. Yes. And the thing is, some of it's played for laughs, but then um, Lando was genuinely broken up when she died. Like The scene where she died, Lando runs to get her. Yes. Han runs to get Lando. And Chewie, who's helping the other Wookiees escape, goes, oh, man, i got to run to save these idiots. It's just like, oh, my little heart. Um. And um, the really nice thing about that to me is that, like, there's this line earlier in the movie where Han is talking to Chewie and he says, um, and he's, you know, interpreting the um, Kashyyyk, I guess, is their language as well as their planet. I don't know. But he, um, or is it Wookiean? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Google it, but probably by the time I've Googled it, it will be irrelevant. Um, but whatever language. And he's interpreting it for the others and... Um, he says that he want, Chewie wants to go back for his, I can't tell if he said family or tribe. Yeah. And, um, and Tobias says, well, no, no, it's, um, it's, um, the alien who's oh, yeah, played uh, by John Favreau. John Favreau alien. Who says, well, what's the difference? Yeah. And it's, and then that moment later proves that point without having to have a voiceover of them saying that earlier or mm. a repeat of that line. It just, yeah, like is there. So for me, I, I really like the way the themes are explored in this movie because mm. it's, it's so much less. I mean, the movie trusts you so much more to be able to understand the themes mm. without shoving them in your face. Yeah. Well, they're all, all really nice. Like the, um, in the back of the Millennium Falcon, the, the 3D chess game where mm. um, Chewie's playing with um, 
Who's he playing with? Tobias Beckett. With, with Tobias. And like you don't they never no one ever says you gotta let the Wookiee win, but you see why you end up letting the Wookiee win. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Uh, Woody Housen had some truly awful hair in this movie too. I just was so distracted by how bad that flop was. Nah, <laughs> but it was anyway. very distracting. Um, but yeah, things. But also like the theme of like exploitation of workers and exploitation mm. of of people and how they turn to crime mm. is this whole kind of overarching theme of this movie. And yet they never kind of go like you know Han and Kira make different choices because of the life that they've led beforehand. And it's really, like, that's an overarching theme of this film without them going, this movie is about this. It's a really interesting movie for the times as well. Mm. Like, the the depiction of a world still a few years away from full-on war mm. but very much heading in that direction. Like, it's still it's still a reasonable choice um, for Han trying to get off Corellian to join up with the Imperial Army, for example. Um, like, that scene is something to do and he... And, and that scene is a legitimate choice at that point, but you can see how the army is in, 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 in ro- encroaching on people's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see, you know, children taken from their families. You see um, pe- workers exploited uh, in horrible conditions, and you see people unable to cope with the technology of their time. Right? Mm. It's a really interesting range of themes that never quite—they're never like super explicit or overt about it, but they're definitely part of the movie. Yeah, it's definitely an allegory for modern America. Right, exactly. But it is done in a way that's like, I mean, they don't go, we're building a wall to keep out the undesirables no, no, or no, anything like that, which is nice. No, it, it's not. It, that's what I mean. Like, it's not a direct allegory. It's it's how it, that sort of authoritarianism creeps into your life. Yeah. And the, um, the attractiveness in that world of hooking up with criminals, mm. hooking up with gangs and cartels and, and mafia types. Yeah, I mean, mm. a lot of the stuff that Han does is survival. Yeah. Which is... You know, mm. I mean, it's and and his kind of the the battle within him to survive, but also to try and do the right thing. Um, whereas yeah. Kira kind of doesn't have the same desire to like her. Hers not, is survival, yeah, ahead of doing the right thing. Whereas yeah. Han is like, I must do the right thing, but also I need to survive. Yeah, it's really interesting to and and it it could have been so cool in the hands of two really good actors to watch mm. that play out like watch the tension you know yeah. watch kira be torn cuz she's not torn. like she doesn't ever seem torn no this. and it doesn't and also when she when she kind of shows up i'm like it it just it felt really weird it was like she didn't I was like, has she been, you know, replaced by a droid? Like, I, I didn't, you didn't sort of go through the kind of questions that Han would have probably had to go through with her as to what has, what has happened in the meantime. You don't see yeah. it, and yeah, we never actually find out what led her down this path. But no, no, no. And so, with a really good actress, you could have been able to like see all of that hauntedness in mm. her or something. She just doesn't. No. She just doesn't have it. I mean, no. she just doesn't have that, that like weight of experience and things like. It, mm. I have. Lots and lots of notes, like yeah, so many notes, yeah. Um, about oh yeah, so um, mm. there's a weird thing in this movie that I thought was strange. Like I knew before this movie came out that Emphis Nest was female, right, right. But it wasn't until she took the helmet off that I thought that maybe the movie was trying. Oh wait, it might have been before that that the movie was trying to keep her gender secret. Oh, like it seemed like they were trying to. It was a surprise when she took the helmet off and was female. Like, I, I'm not invested in this stuff enough to be concerned about what gender she was, but 
No, I know, but it, it just was something that kind of crossed my mind right. at one point that was like, oh, I think they're trying to like surprise us, mm. which plays into some weird, like for this movie, that seems weird because it's already shown that women are like criminals and badasses mm. and things like that anyway. Yeah. Leaders of rebellions. Like we yeah. know that that's fine. Yeah. Um. So that was, a. I thought that was a bit strange. Um, yeah. Okay. I also thought that girl was very. I mean, just in this, I don't know, maybe she's great, but in this, she was kind of, like, um, once she took the helmet off, she was so wide-eyed and quiet and not at all, like, interesting or imposing or... But I think they were relying on the fact that she's very unique looking. She is very unique looking. but So she... I think they, they were like, it was a bit of that, a bit Mamelia Clark distractiveness about it like it's just oh look at this girl she's interesting but not necessarily she's good she does seem very she seemed very young and like maybe and looking up looking her up later on on imdb she hasn't got a lot of experience mm. either so they were very much throwing in a newcomer at yeah. this point which i mean that can work obviously um particularly daisy ridley had not done a whole lot before she was thrown into star wars as well but yeah she was sort of Daisy Ridley just has this power about her, even when she's yeah. just standing around doing nothing. Right. This And this girl doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it just is one of those cases where I think they took a, a shot on an unknown and it maybe didn't quite work out for them. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was a bit kind of – she was just a bit weak once she took the helmet off. Like, mm. and, and before she took the helmet off, she was so, like, cool and imposing. So yeah. I don't know where – like, did they have a different person in that outfit? <laughs> Or, like, was it just the voice modifier that made us? Yeah, and the the ADR stuff. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I don't know, but it just, she seemed like a different person entirely, you know? None of that steeliness was there. Mm-mm. Um, 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 I really liked the design of Proxima Midnight. That wasn't her. Lady Proxima. Lady Proxima, yeah. That was really cool. I was expecting her to be, like, you know, a woman on a throne or something. No, for yeah. her to be, like, a giant worm. A big worm thing. Like, the thing they fed the babies to in, in, um... Buffy in that episode, what was it? Band Candy. Yeah, and she's played by... Um, Underground and it couldn't be seen by sunlight. Anyway. She's played by Linda Hunt, who's always interesting. Yeah, and she was really, like, that was really cool. I was mm. That was so unexpected and I really enjoyed that. And Han's little moment of, like, rebelling against her that mm. kind of sets the tone for the movie was really good too. Yeah. Um, that was well done. So I enjoyed that. That was, like, my favourite part of that beginning part mm. then there was a bit that seemed much too much like a theme park ride when they were like racing oh yeah trying to get part yeah get yeah. away from the people chasing and them. putting the dice on the on the mirror annoyed me for that just seemed like such a like real world thing yeah i it just didn't seem to fit I don't know. Han Solo is definitely the kind of guy who have, would have lucky dice, though. It He is. Yeah, I agree. And hang but, it on his ship and, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, if it's in a spaceship, there's something like it. it's already modified to a space world. Mm. But just putting them in a car is like it's too – it just is too real world for me. Yeah, okay. I don't know. I, it's just the way that I, I was kind of cringy at. It just made me cringe a little bit. Mm. And then them being that those dice being a symbol and him having to take them him with him mm. and stuff. I also feel like the movie sometimes did origin stories for things that didn't need origin stories, uh-huh. like giving Han His the last, last name, name Solo. That, this annoys me because later on in the movie, uh, he talks about how his dad worked on the um, the plant that built the Millennium Falcons. Yes. 
So he has a people. He ha- would have a name, yeah. right? He has a family. And, and we don't go into the story and we don't need to. Like it would be you'd be probably delving into too much detail. But clearly, like there's a sadness there and he's been separated from his family, whether through death or poverty or whatever else. And it feels like he would be the kind of man who would be proud of his dad. Yeah. And he would not drop his last name. Well, I mean, he said um, he wasn't close to him after that with Lando. So yeah, something's just, happened. But still, it seems like a weird... Like, also, it's Star Wars. He it Solo can just be his last name. Right. It's a perfectly fine last name. Yeah. And, uh, and like, it, they don't have to be... Yeah, the names don't have to fit in with, mm. like, our naming tradition. But Solo is, like, a human last name. There's yeah. a American soccer player called Hope Solo. There you go. See, that's it's silly. Like, it, it's mm. just silly to have Well, that. I, I just... Yeah, it, I felt a little bit like... I felt sorry for Han's dad in that point. Like, I, I was like, oh, this is sad. Yeah, but, or maybe he, you know, could but, have taken his mother's last name in this right, world. Right, Who exactly. the hell knows? But he the, has a people, right? Yeah. He had a dad and he presumably had a mum. Yeah. So, like, you would think he would be happy to claim one of their people as his people. Yeah, and, and also, yeah, it's just unnecessary. And later on, um, he asks Chewie's name and he says Chewbacca and then mm. Han's like, oh, I'm not saying that every time. Like, it's a setup for the nickname Chewie, which, again, which is something we that don't does... <laughs> People just like, do that. He would do that. And Chewbacca's perfectly fine name. And we get to see like other Wookiees in this one. Mm. And like there's um the the, uh, the Christmas special sets up Chewbacca having a family with that all have a similar name to him. Yeah. And I like that they sort of nodded to the fact that we've acknowledged that there is a Wookiee lore and it's in this really embarrassing Christmas special. But they also they took it seriously. Like mm. the Wookiees had been enslaved and they were living this horrible thing and Chewbacca was able to help some of them escape from this horrible mining planet. Yeah. And also the the meet cute with Chewbacca and Han was great. Yes. That was terrific. Also once as soon as they threw him in. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, we haven't hit, fed the beast in three days. I was like, Oh it's yes, Chewy, it's, it's definitely be Chewy. Um, yeah. Because I knew that, like, you know, it's supposed to be a subversion of the other times that that sort yeah. of thing's happened, but it, it doesn't play subversive that well because you really know that that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, there's a lot of this movie that's about, like, legendary meetups happening for the yeah. first time. It made me think of um, the speech you gave at my wedding <laughs> about how we met each other because yeah, you yeah. started off talking about how Han met the Millennium Falcon and how Mal met the Serenity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was cute. Like, that, that mute cute worked cute. really well. Yeah. Like, it, because it is inte- initially antagonistic, mm. um, but, you know, they kind of work together. It's, it feels very – that felt very Han Solo-esque. Like I said, I think the writing was so solid. Yeah. Like, I can just imagine Harrison Ford saying a lot of these great lines that were in this. Right, and with his head in the mud speaking Wookiee to, in order to win Chewie over. Yeah, exactly. Like, but you, yeah, that is definitely the kind of thing Han would do. Like, you, you think of Han, like, talking over the radio, everything's fine here. Yeah. Like – and he's he has no chill. He's really stupid sometimes, and that is exactly the kind of stupid thing he would do. But he has no ch- chill. He's really stupid sometimes, but he always gives it a shot. Yeah, he's he's always going all in, like which yeah. they show literally a couple of times. Um, he's never afraid to risk take a risk. Yeah, and and like there's other there's lines from this movie that I noted in my notes, like um when he's. Uh, pretending that he picks up a rock and he's pretending that it's oh, a that it, it goes, thermal detonator. Yes. <laughs> and um, Proxima says, 
that's a rock and you just made a clicking sound with your mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> they know he's tricking him, but they don't know that they don't realize the trick he's actually going to play. Yeah. Um, which is really, it's really fun, but it's also really clever writing. Yeah. Like the, the writers are really on top of like the interplay between Han and other people and how Han works as a person, mm. which is why it's a bit disappointing that he's so unhan like because like the writing is so there you yeah. know and the costuming is so there and the the aesthetic is so there oh my god the <laughs> lando's cape closet yeah is just amazing I knew the, love- the, well the whole back of the millennium falcon reminds me of um the the commodore in um thor ragnarok right yeah where it's like his 70s sex palace yeah kind of yeah. a thing oh that was really funny but yes the other costuming like the way they dress Amelia Clark and the way they dress Han and um, Woody Harrelson's sort of, uh, he, he's very much dressed like the mercenary that he is. Yeah, there's this, uh, I like the mix of 70s cowboy space that they yeah, yeah. they put together for this, you know. It yeah. works really so well. So many capes. And even Paul Bettany has a cape. Yeah. I'm like, he's, he's, he's gotten a taste for this playing Vision. Yeah. But it's it's a very cape-centric film, but it, yeah. it's so within its aesthetic, it works so nicely. Yeah, and, but also Paul Bettany wears like silk shirts and mm. stuff, which... And he, he's like tuxedo type fabrics, and yeah. I really thought that he'd be kind of a nothing villain, but he worked great. Mm, like good job. Um, he had this kind of a couple of character traits that he pulled off well, and he was the right amount of menacing. Well, I it was really good finding him menacing was actually really easy to me because you sort of would hear his voice and you'd be mm. like, oh, it's Jarvis, <laughs> and it's not Jarvis because the things he's saying are like terrifying. Well, there's a moment at the end of the movie where he says, you can't win, and it sounded so familiar. Does Jarvis say that in... You can't win. It may, no, but maybe um, maybe a vision does. Or I like, mean, or there's something in Ultron where it... Vision is what I meant. Yeah. Um, does Vision say that? Or like, is it another... Because I've seen a lot of Paul Bettany movies. Maybe it's something else. But just the way he said it just triggered like something in I my think, brain. Well, no, it is it's very like... Um, I feel like it's something that Jarvis would say to Tony in the suit, but when Tony's trying to do something stupid. Yeah, it, it, but it just kind of – he was um, really fun and really yeah. neat. Um, also, like uh, the fact that Amelia Clark had a British accent was should have probably been a tip-off to us that she was going to be a bad guy in the end. I mean, this is Star Wars. Why is Han Solo the only American on Corellia? I don't, I don't know. Linda Hunt's American, isn't she? No, she has a British accent as Proxima. Uh, I think she yeah, is American, yeah, but she was yeah. doing a British. And it was, I didn't even notice. So it was no, clearly it a was good one. clearly generic. Um, but like they, the kids spoke with like full Oliver Twist accents. Like they yeah. were going all like balls to the wall on the Oliver because, Twist. I, that's because they filmed in England and that's all the extras they got. I suppose, I would, I would guess they probably just with the kids, they were like, it's too hard to like, we don't have time to have them talk in another accent. But I don't think that – I think that seemed very intentional to make them all of a it is. It is weird, though, because, like, Han is, you know, Karelian. You know, yeah. That's where he's from. That's his backstory. I know. It's so, very weird because nobody around – like, and, and Amelia Clark is also obviously intentional. Mm. Proxima has a British accent. Like, that's all intentional. Mm. So the fact that he's a cowboy mm. from this British, like – like, it, it's, it is, you know, the, the Industrial Revolution. Mm. That's bizarre. Yeah. That does not, like, that just kind of – because they kept talking. They 
all through the movie, he uh, Han and Kira were like, we grew up together. And you're yeah, like, yeah. why then do you speak like this? <laughs> like he has Aww. like this full, thick Southern accent. Alden Ehrenreich, born and raised in either LA or New York, I can't remember. So he's mm. not a cowboy. No. The accent is fake. <laughs> like, it's just bugs. It's the same thing with why is Finn American? Yeah. Like he was a stormtrooper. And most stormtroopers have been British. Why has Finn got an American accent? Because the, in Star Wars, the heroes have American accents and the villains have British ones. The only exception is Ray. Yeah. Maybe Daisy Ridley just couldn't do a satisfying American accent and they let it go. But. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, she's got that lovely resonant voice as yeah. well. It's quite deep and very nice. And I think it sounds good in her natural accent. And, and But also, she was very inexperienced. They probably didn't want to like put that pressure on her as well um, because that could make or break the film Yeah, if she was uncomfortable in her accent. Do you also think that like there's something about the white British girls they've been casting (laughs) in these movies? They are very similar. Yes. Yes. Daisy Ridley, Felicity Jones, Amelia Clarke. Yeah, definitely. Like do you think that maybe hurt the chances of the other people auditioning for Kira? Oh, so like because they already had those women in, mm. they were th- they were definitely thinking of like, oh yes, we've got to pick a British girl, or as not just a British girl. Like they they all look similar. Yeah, that sort of yeah, creamy skin, sort of mousy brown hair, that kind of yeah. Yeah, I think there's like, I mean, big eyes. There has been talk around the internet of Kathleen Kennedy having a preference on that front. Ah, uh. but like it it is like. I think it's hurting them. I think so. Because particularly Felicity Jones and Amelia Clark both just kind of stood wide-eyed a lot of the time. Mm. A lot of it is like these big anime eyes. And yeah. They look good on the big screen. Yeah, but I, sure, they might look good, but don't you want people who can act? Yeah, you, you want someone with a bit more substance. Yeah, which is – Like I'm, you want you, someone like a, a Carrie Fisher who like mm. can embody that character. Or Daisy Ridley. Or Natalie Portman. yeah. Yeah, in spite of her being in a terrible movie. Yeah, they're all really similar. Mm. All of them. God, they need to put women who are different. And Tandy Newton was so cool with her, like, afro. I was so mad when they killed her. I was like, I know they're going to have to – I know they have to kill some people on this heist. I know they do. But it was also like, of course they're going to kill the girlfriend. Like, of course they are. Yeah, it would have been more fun if Tandy Newton had been Tobias Beckett and Woody Harrelson. Like, Like, just for a twist. Right. I was just like, of course she's got to – like – you, the minute you meet the little John Favreau guy, you're like, yeah, of course. I, I think even at one point he even talks about his retirement. And you're like, oh, he's so doomed. Yeah. Um, but you, I was like, oh, really? Is this you going to go this way? Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, but, I think I mean, because also it had been that there was a relatively recent, like we'd also seen the bit where Han and Amelia, Han and Kira are separated, and it's a terrible name. Yeah. Well, Kira is a perfectly nice name. It's just oh, yeah. they spell it with a Q. I, I, it's a terrible name, not that um, like you really said, like Kira's, the name Kira. No, I, I like but, the name too. It's not that the name is bad. It's the fact that they spell it with a Q and an apostrophe yeah. to make it Star Warsy. Yeah. that I had a problem it, But with. there's a scene at that point, though, when they get to that heist, that we've seen Kira and Han get separated and sort of Kira get dragged off and Han is worried about her and he wants to go back and save her. And then we also lose another, like, love interest, female love interest. And so... Like I know it comes back around, and we do when I, we do see Kira again and stuff like that. It was just kind of annoying me. I'm like, is this the way we're going to play it? Sure. Yeah, I had a moment of oh, thank goodness the white men survived. But the the thing is, I was kind of nervous about that. But the ending subverted it so much that it didn't bother me as much because 
Um, and I, and there was a point at which I was like, is every woman in this movie going to die? Mm. Like, I thought they might kill off Kira and Emphis Nest in that big finale. Yeah. But then because Kira, um, and I really like the way that, putting Amelia Clark aside, I really like the way that Kira's arc works in this. Because at no point is it like women are untrustworthy. Um, they don't play it that way. Kira's like, looking out for herself. And she, Kira's she doing has, what's best for her. She has so much agency and, like, p- perspective yeah. on it. Like, th- the film goes into her perspective quite often yeah, to show where she's at with this um, thing. And also it balances it out with Emphis Nest going from doing the heel face turn from bad guy to good guy mm. that, like, it doesn't um, – and, and then they don't kill either of them and they both kind of win. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting in terms of Kira's story because – Clearly, she didn't join up with Paul Bettany voluntarily. This was right. not a voluntary thing on her part, but he trusts her enough to send her on this mission. And when at the end she sees an opportunity to kill him and to take over, she takes it. Mm. Like I, I think that works for her. She mm. is, she's a Slytherin, right? She yeah. is looking out for number one, and that it was like what we said before about how she's a survivor first, good person second, and Han is a good person first, survivor second. Yeah. And it makes a difference, and that's why her story works out the way it does. But, it, yeah, you're right. It makes total sense for her. It's yeah. not like, you know, she's a bad person. Right. But, I mean, she does end up being a bad guy, but, it, you know, we're so steeped in this underworld already, and I love the idea of her being this big criminal but now, boss. Yeah, but now she's going to be like a criminal mastermind, like Jabba the Hutt, and, mm. you know, that's going to be her peers in this world. That's great. Good on her. She's like, t- taking something for herself. The impact of that scene would have been so cool. Yeah, um, and and the Darth Maul reveal, which was kind of like I knew it would be somebody that we'd seen before. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be Jabba for a while, but then um, yeah, I was expecting Jabba the Hutt to turn up. I'm surprised he didn't. I mean, obviously he got mentioned, but yeah, but yeah. Then then um, he mentioned Tat- uh, Tobias mentioned Tatooine, so yeah, and that went out the window, and I was like, oh, I wonder who it will be then. And then for a moment, he was like styled like the Emperor. Yes, he so was. So he thought it was, the, but then that was too obvious, like a mislead. Yeah. So I was like, well, it can't be the Emperor. Um, so mm. for that to be Darth Maul was, it was okay. It didn't mm. pull me out or anything, but it also was kind of like, oh, okay. And mm. I also knew that Darth Maul was still alive, which I think is going to be very confusing for a lot of people. It was confusing for Jamie who went, wait, how could that be? When is this set? Yeah. Well, it's set before both Star Wars and Rogue One. Yeah. So yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I don't know exactly, but I would put this at like, like the end of this as, I'd say five years before, maybe ten years before New Hope. But mm. I like how much um, Han destroyed the ship in those ten years. Like when we first encounter the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars, it is a rundown mess. When yeah. we first encounter it here, it's so shiny. Like the yeah. insides are so shiny. What did he do? <laughs> like have keep slime monsters in there? Or I something. mean, he lived. Yeah, he smuggled and he lived a hard life. He and never got, cleaned. Ne- yeah, yeah, that yes, yes. There's Wookie hair everywhere. It's like a frat like, boy apartment. Yeah, like Lando had it all nice. He yeah. had that beautiful yellow and blue bed and the closet and all that kind of stuff. And the floor was all nice and shiny. And Han, Han, is, like rocks up and just yeah, it is. He's he's a total frat boy. Yeah, I think that's funny. And like. No, no, no one else was going to clean up. Princess Leia is not rocking up and tidying up the Millennium Falcon. No, for sure, and neither's Ray. So that's what happens. <laughs> it's funny to me though that he like j- he made such a mess of it. But yeah, mm. um, 
Lando's intro was good too. In uh-huh. between Han's legs. There was so much, like, it just seemed so much like they were pushing that envelope with Han and Lando. Mm, they were. Like, there's a p- moment when Lando tosses Han a gun as well, which is, A, a gorgeous piece of cinema. I loved it. Like, the timing of it with the soundtrack and, like, mm. in the middle of this, like, the, the swirling camera. And the camera work was really good because you could always see what was going on. And, like, it was just such a cool moment. But it was also such a boyfriend moment. The grand romance of this is between those two like yeah. Han and Chewie are the best friends of the piece Han and Chewie and the, the Falcon they're all like family and then yeah Lando is is this boy he's this boy that you that Han meets in his mid-20s and like probably hooks up with for the next five years every time they're in the same city like totally that's mm. someone who's like I know this guy is bad news but look at him you know when Han puts his arm around Lando and Lando's like I'm going to go back to my bedroom and then I never want to see you again. Yes. <laughs> like, is that an invitation? It did certainly sound that way. They call each other baby. Uh-huh. On per- like- well, and and um, L337 actually says stop flirting. Yes, before Lando then doubles down on the flirting. Mm-hmm. Like, And, mm-hmm. and the, the writers have also said that um, – This is text, not subtext. No, and the writers have said that Lando is like his gender is flu- – uh, gender. His, his sexuality yeah. is fluid. So he likes men and women and I don't know, maybe robots, um, <laughs> maybe droids. Mm. But um, it definitely – like he is flirting hard with Han a lot of the time. But also they have that kind of friction of – like not liking each other, which I did in air quotes, um, mm-hmm. that makes it like they're so – like the the only times that Han really worked for me was when he was with Lando. Yeah. Then I was like, oh, this is fun. The two of them, man. Yeah. Um, plus Lando brings out that snarky, grumpy side of Han that we like. Yes. Um, that makes him more Han-like. Yeah. That makes him more Harrison Ford-like. He never gets to Harrison Ford-like. I'm sorry. He just doesn't. I know. I mean, the grumpiness is Harrison Ford-like. Sorry. I didn't mean that Alden Ehrenreich was Harrison Ford-like. I meant the grumpiness is very Harrison Ford-ish, and that's kind of what he brought to the I mean, if you look at Chris Pine in Star Trek, he is is echoing William Shatner, right? Mm -hmm. Not doing an impression, and yet he is a really good Kirk. Yeah. That's not what happened here for me. Mm. Anyway. Now let's, I'm going to go through my... Yeah, go through your notes and just say anything really else you want to so mention can... in case we forgot it. Oh, the ages confused the hell out of me. I mean, the, yeah, the, the when is this set is a, actually a problem because like, it it's not clear mm. and Alden Ehrenreich could be anywhere from 25 to 32. Like you sort of... But I think he's supposed to be about 20. Ah. Because I think they're supposed to be kids... Well, they, yeah, because that's right. They've been, they're supposed to be like actually young people at that point. So he's probably only, so 20 and then he'd be 23 for the later bit. Oh, no, I thought he was supposed to be, they were supposed to be like 18 maybe. In I that, mean, maybe, yeah. In, but that doesn't play because neither of them Neither of them look remotely like they're 20. But they're in that, like, they're all kids being exploited there. Yeah. So it seems like they're supposed to be like teens. And they're not, yeah. And then this is only supposed to be set three years later, mm. which would put him at, like 21 maybe yeah which neither, neither of them look like no so it, that, I, although if they were actually talented 21 year olds you might buy the whole innocence from him yeah that would make a lot more sense and i mean like lando can be played by donald glover who's 32 or whatever because that he doesn't really matter how old lando is no um i mean within reason well, yeah no, if he's 10 years older i mean you know he yes. could easily be 10 years yeah older. that's right but um 
yeah, because and then that that also changes things because we know that Han is roughly thirty five in mm. A New Hope, and so then is this now fifteen years before A New Hope, or is it ten? You know, it's kind of yeah. and it's probably like that's probably niggling little things, but the thing is, we're gonna have more of these movies. There are gonna be movies, Star Wars movies, coming out for so long, and you've all, you've got to fit them all into a bit of a con- chronology somehow mm. and work out where things go. And fans will be interested in doing that, so I kind of want to know this stuff. I think this is my favorite bit of um like like four no five in a row. It goes Lando between Han's legs, the sexual tension, Lando's voice, droid rights, droid slavery, and then I'll be your co-pilot. It's all like <laughs> This is why the notes. middle section is so good. Yeah, but that that's only within five minutes and that yeah. was like, Oh, I'm down now. Like yeah. I am sold on this movie from <laughs> that point on. Um Lando's yeah, Donald Glover's voice in this is so sexy. He's got this mm-hmm. kind of slight accent up, baby. that he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is really it's cute. Um, I liked the um, the score of this. Oh yes, um, John Powell had to work really hard to pull it together, and it, I think it was worked really nicely. Yeah, well, there's photo, like I said, there's photos on Ron Howard's Instagram of the orchestra recording this a month ago. Yeah, like this is they worked really hard on this, and they but you still brought in the the John Williams stuff when it was needed, and it kind of swelled up at the right time, but. There was like a new Hans theme and stuff to kind of yeah. weave in. Um, there is quite a bit of sampling of the old scores, but mm. the new score stuff worked nicely. Yeah. Um, it, 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 you know, these movies always do really music well. really well. Yeah, but it's worth noting because he, yeah, yeah, he really had, to, had a rough time, <laughs> had a rough time with it. Um, oh, yeah. The women in this movie talk about men a lot. <laughs> um, there's like two lines that, um, that L3 and, uh, Kira say to each oh, other God. that aren't about men before they launch into a conversation about the guys. Yeah, that I think is just there so that the movie will pass the oh. best delta. Literally, yeah. like because the the whole conversation wouldn't. Mm. But at the beginning of the conversation, they talk about something else for yeah. a minute, and then later on, she talks to Emphis Nest about Han. Yeah, like they couldn't talk about the plan or anything else. No, they had to talk about Han. Like it, that frustrated me, especially since this movie does pretty well on. On, for the most part, on, yeah, it's on that front, of women, yeah, and L three is so cool; she deserves better. There's a oh, there's a mention of um spice at one point. Like it seemed like um Kira said, "We'll trade our slaves for your spice." Yeah, and I was like, "What is this Dune?" <laughs> like, oh, that was confusing to me because that Dune spice is the drug in Dune. Yeah, is that a reference or is it just something weird? I don't know. Um, at one point, Chewie tears somebody's arms out of the sockets, therefore yeah. proving that old line. That stuff I liked a lot more because it's less like I don't like the direct callbacks to other things. I like no, that because but it it's is the nice. visual gag that you will get if you know. Right. And yeah, but it also tells you who Chewie is, which is Chewie is like my cat in that he, if he likes you, you're okay. He's very loyal. But if mm. he doesn't like you, he will rip you in half. Yeah. Um, so that's, He's I like that. Also quite Groot like. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In that capable of really strong violence in defense of his people. Yeah. I also did think that Yunus, Yonas Suatomo. Suatomo. Oh, yes, who play, he's now playing Chewie. He's yeah. now playing Chewie, did a really good job. It was There was a lot to do yeah. for him. Um, and like we said, some other um, Wookiees turned up as well. But he, he did a really good job because mm. he had to sell all that from under that outfit. Like, And also with no English language words either. Much more physicality than I think, not just recent Peter Mayhew, but always Peter Mayhew. Yeah, well, I mean, like running and 
fighting and yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, he always was a bit of a walking carpet. Mm. and But, yeah, he really does, like, get into, um, yeah, the, the physicality a lot more. Um, and, yeah, has to do some heavier acting, I think. That's yeah. Good. I also made a note that his young hair is floppy boy band hair. Like, he had these little bits in yeah, front of his yeah, face yeah. <laughs> that looked like a 90s boy band that made me laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, God, what was that haircut they gave to Alden Ehrenreich, too? Oh, like, it's, oh, it's the dreadful. fluff out the back. It's just horrible. It's horrible. Like, it's a, it's a bad, like, 80s teen movie boy haircut. Yeah. I, just the hair in this movie in general is... Not the best. Tandy Newton's is the best hair in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's wonderful. Beautiful, natural afro. But everyone else, nah. Yeah, well, Emphis Nest has good natural hair too. Yeah, she does actually. You know, she, she wears her hair natural and it's she's a redhead. Um, so it looks really interesting. The men in this movie have terrible hair. Yeah. I, yeah, like Amelia Clark's hair is fine but basic. But it's it not, looks a bit stiff and weird to me. We, uh, I saw, thought that it worked well with the whole aesthetic of uh, Art Deco stuff, like with her, the really heavy bangs and like the very um, like pulled together ponytail and stuff. It worked with the fact that she always wore nail polish and lipstick mm. and all that kind of stuff. It was very deliberate, I think, yeah. on her part. I also you you were delighted at that bit where um, where um, Kira was putting out a, a fire with. Lando's cape. Yes. And he's like, this is something. That's a custom piece. Yeah. I was like, that is, yes, of course. It's amazing. Well, because he was so, like he, they don't shy away from his feminine side at all. And his, the the journal that he keeps and the fact that he, he is fastidious about his clothes and the neatness of his ship. And not only that, it's all portrayed as like dreamy, not like, like a negative or like, oh, he's, you know, too much of a dandy or whatever. Kira's like, oh, he's the best yeah you know like everybody just kind of is is completely won over by him mm. with all of this you know this grandeur that he has going on yeah so it's i i really like that they didn't they didn't only not shy away from it but they embraced it yeah like as part of an appeal for him and that's part of him and that's because that, like lando has a relatively short appearance mm. um in the original films but he's a big fan favorite and there's all these like theories that have that built up around his fondness for capes and his light blue outfits and all that sort of thing like there's a whole there is all this headcanon around him and a lot of that is leaned into here yeah and you know it um you really buy into the fact that he can win over anywhere he goes very quickly like Mm. because when we first meet him he's leading cloud city he's the ruler of cloud city he is so like he is somebody who can he's not just a con artist he is like Sell ice to the Eskimos. Yeah, kind of con he's artist. a great con artist. Yes, yeah. and um, it's only because the other guys are also con artists that they kind of don't buy yeah, into it. That's right. Um, but yeah, everybody's just charmed by him. He's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also got really excited when we saw Warwick Davies at the end, and yeah. nobody else in the cinema reacted. That very was weird. really nice that they brought Warwick Davies back. Yeah. Star Wars Return of the Jedi was his first movie, and you got to see his face. Yes, that's right. <laughs> he wasn't just under an Ewok suit. Yeah, and then one more note that I have, which is um, another, like, reference to something very famous without it being stated, which is where Han shoots first at the yes. ending. Yes. Oh, that was very well done at the end. Yeah, because You made a good choice, kid. Yeah, and it's a big, it's a, it's a big plot moment, yep. right? And it matters, but it's also, like, nobody says, oh, you shot first. No, and, it's cl- and it cleans up the timeline. Yeah. It's like the canon is that he shot first because that is the kind of guy that he is. Yeah. And that makes the most sense in terms of his character. Um, yeah. And I like that they had a fun tag on the end without so that it didn't end 
Yeah, and we also got to see – well, it also had closed up the Lando thing because we – literally, we see Lando say, I'm going to my bedroom. And then he we see the Millennium Falcon fly off and mm. we, we have well, – there's no closure if we don't have that end bit. That's true. But also, definitely, Han is showing up for his, like, biannual booty call. I mean, they could have just set it up as, like, a there will be a sequel to this movie type of thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, um, true. But I also liked um, uh, um, the very Harnish way he comes in and has – Chewie threatened to rip his arms off and he's actually, like, you can see Lando's actually scared there for a second. Yeah. I love that bit. And then, yeah, and then they hug, which is also kind of like a setup for later. And yeah. I don't know. It's it's all really, um, yeah, because when we, Han and Lando c- come across each other again later, Han's scared to see Lando and Lando then embraces him. Mm. In this one, it's the other way around. And then Lando kind of plays them yeah. later as well. And this one, Han plays Lando. So it is really like a This is fun... how their relationship has been all the time that it's been happening. And yeah. This is, goes back and forth and yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I for me, I think, and also the themes of this movie fit nicely in with what I'm interested in, like the droid slavery stuff. Although I do wonder if why that doesn't continue later. Um, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Can we can we have some of that in the new? Like, if that if the last movie had been about that stuff, then I probably wouldn't have minded it as much. War profiteering and things as, mm. as, as like a minor subplot is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. To me, this just kind of shows. I don't know that you can have a fun movie that also thinks about themes. Yeah. Instead of having to make it a movie that's just about themes and yeah changes all of the like the last one was supposed to be so um that last jedi is supposed to be so um subversive but a lot of the stuff they do i mean it doesn't they don't go far enough into being subversive mm. for it to really like you know they have to be at a certain place at the end of the movie and everybody still has to yeah. be heroic enough the, then whereas the approach on this one was that you can examine as long as you have a solid enough story and it all hangs together well and you got and you're taking people on a fun ride you can dig into that serious stuff right um but you have to get the core basics of the movie right and that's where Je- last jedi falls down in that it doesn't have a solid central storyline mm. like it's just you're doing a whole like the it's got a really good storyline for luke but then like the other bits and ray yeah to a certain extent yeah luke and ray is great but the, everything else is kind of cobbled together in all these different ways and you don't have this great through line and you you also don't have this great heist in the middle. Yeah, but, you know, it has more charismatic leads and better performances. And yeah, yeah. So I, I just if they had just cast differently, my whole experience of this movie would have been so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ma- fact that they managed to pull together a movie that I think was so enjoyable and so good. Despite that. Just, not just despite that, but with all the problems they had is incredible. Oh, my God. And yeah, like it, Ron Howard literally started work on this July last year. It really shows his professionalism, you yeah. know? Like he was – I think they were fired in like June last year. Like he just stepped in and they rewrote it and they re-storyboarded and they just pulled this whole thing together. Yeah. I'm more curious about how this one worked out than anything else mm. because because it was a success. Like with the other ones, you can see the cracks – Especially Rogue One, yeah. Um, well, other movies where this kind of thing has happened. Oh, though, right. No, but so I, think of, I think of Rogue One because Rogue One had similar issues. Yeah, it did. Um, with the directors. Um, but, but well, they didn't fire one and hire another one, did they? I think somebody came – well, I think the original director got the credit, but somebody else ended up coming in and doing really extensive reshoots. Okay. And the ending changed significantly. Well, the ending was better afterwards, so. Yeah, yeah, it was. They did. I assume. They made it better. 
But um, yeah, one of the early trailers, you see a shot of um, Felicity Jones and what's his name on the beach, mm. um, and they never actually make it to the beach in the movie. No, they do. They die on the beach. No, okay. Maybe. It's something else. That, but yeah. it's something like that. Like you see. Oh, they're the, fighting on the beach because they yeah, don't fight on the beach. Something like they that. They die the, there. Yeah, to, yeah exactly. Uh, um, Cassian some, Andor yeah. is his name. Um, yes. It was Diego Luna. <laughs> yeah. I love Diego Luna. Yeah. And anyway, the, in the original trailer, that was that. And then they had significant reshoots and that's not quite how it ended. And um, now we get to have a Boba Fett movie. Yay. <laughs> I think like this movie kind of almost works in spite of the fact that it's a solo Han Solo origin story, you know, mm-hmm. like like everything. Yeah, I really could have loved this movie if they made a couple different choices. But. Yeah. So, um, do you want to do ratings? Yes. Um, okay. So when I was looking at my, I actually went back last night when I was trying to rate this and looked at my old um scores. I've done the I same gave, thing. Last Jedi three and Rogue One three and a half, mm. so it makes me want to give this four, but I don't know if it genuinely deserves four or I just enjoyed it four stars worth. Yeah, well, that this is where I'm coming from as well. Like, I think I gave I, def- I gave three and a half to Last Jedi and maybe three and a half to Rogue One. So I don't like I want to give this four as well, but I'm not entirely sure it's. Like, I liked it that much, but then I did like it more than both of those and I thought it was a better pulled together film. So I'm going to give it four stars, um, although that's, you know, hot, like more generous than I would normally be. I'm going to give it 3.75 stars. Okay. <laughs> three and three quarter stars. That's what I want to give this movie. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's a four star movie, mm. um, but I think with everything that they had working against them to make a movie this good and enjoyable is really an achievement. Yeah. So on that front, they deserve four stars, but as a movie, it deserves three and a half. So 3.75 new scale. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.